0: This morning we're continuing in our uh, Life Hacks series and finishing out our last message this morning in this series. Uh, We've called it Life Hacks, but what it really is for the past three weeks we've been talking about some of the foundational aspects of the Christian faith. I do this at the beginning of every year, January of every year, take a few weeks to talk about some of the most foundational and pivotal aspects of our Christian faith and growing in God. The idea, at least for me, is to get on track and to stay focused about getting closer to God in the coming year. Uh, We do this in January for the same reason that this past week or two weeks, you probably got three or four flyers in the mail inviting you to join a gym or a couple of gyms and uh, for all kinds of low rates and all kinds of deals. And uh, they send those. They could send those flyers out any time of the year, right? But they all send them out in January. You're not usually getting flyers to join gyms in April or, or May. You get them all in January. And uh, the reason is because they surmise that you are thinking, hey, you know, how did last year go? Looking at yourself and saying, this is how I am. Thinking about how I'd like to be. And if you're using a little bit of wisdom, asking the question, how do I get there? And their hope is that you'll get their flyer in the mail and say, oh, that's how I get there. And uh, we do, it's the same thing with physical growth or physical fitness. Uh, I believe the same principles apply to our spiritual growth as well. That sometimes at the beginning of a year, you may be looking at, you know, what was last year like? How much time did I spend with God? Where's my spiritual walk with God? How close am I to God? Where would I like to be? And how do I get there? And so at the beginning of every year, we try and take some time and talk about how you can grow in your spiritual walk. And the things we talk about, they're not rocket science. They're probably not surprising to you. You can probably tell me before January comes if you've been a while. They're going to talk about Bible reading. They're going to talk about prayer. They're going to talk about giving. And that's what we talked about so far in this series. We talked about uh, a few weeks ago, the importance of Bible reading, that uh, the reading of the Scriptures is really the only way we can know who God is and have any knowledge of Him, it's only in how He's revealed Himself in His Word, and so that's important. If we're going to get close to God, we're going to have to spend time in the Bible. A couple weeks we talked about, couple weeks ago, we talked about prayer, spending time with God, using the Lord's prayer as a model and not a mantra, uh, using that to get close to God, and that's important. Last week, Pastor Brian did a great job uh, talking about giving and generosity and how materialism, finances can at times have a stranglehold on our spiritual growth and uh, how we're to give generously out of relationship and not by rules and how this can help us uh, in our spiritual growth as well. But still, many of you may have come out of those weeks saying, great, I agree with that, In fact, I've been here a few years, Pastor Rick, and every January I agree with that, what you're saying. And yes, I know I can read the Bible more, I can pray more, I need to be more generous and a better steward of my finances, but why is it so difficult for me? Maybe the question that comes to your mind. Why is it so hard? Why is it every year I go in with these great expectations? I get out my Bible reading plan, I start off in January, I set out my prayer time, and yet it seems really difficult. In fact, it almost seems impossible, and sometimes by February, February a lot of times uh, by Valentine's Day, you've forgotten the goals that you set and the expectations that you put out there. Why is it so difficult? I don't think it's because of lack of knowledge, In fact, just like our physical health, right? Most people, it's not a lack of knowledge. I mean, if you want to lose weight, most of us know we should probably eat less and exercise more. Not a hard thing to figure out. Most of us can figure that out, but we, most of us, probably don't do it. Uh, You know, we have the knowledge that if I'm trying to lower my cholesterol, the large order of fries probably isn't helping. That I should probably eat more avocados than hamburgers, we have the knowledge, we have the understanding, and yet we often still don't do it. And I think it's the same in our spiritual walk as well. It's not for lack of knowledge. We know, okay, I could probably, yeah, praying more would probably get me closer to God. Spending more time in God's word would probably get me closer to God. Thinking, praying more about my giving and, and loving my neighbor and, and all of that and how I give generously would probably get me closer to God. But still, even having that knowledge... We don't always do it. I want to talk this morning about what I think is one of the reasons, maybe the main reason, that it's so difficult for us to experience spiritual growth in our lives, that it's so difficult for us, when we set out these goals, to actually carry them out. Uh, the answer to that question I want to kind of lay out here at the beginning because I don't think it's knowledge, I think it's sometimes execution, but the answer to that question of what is, what, why is it so difficult to grow spiritually comes down in my mind to one of the most foundational doctrines or beliefs of the Christian faith, and it's the doctrine of the Trinity, it has to do with the doctrine of the Trinity, and you might think that's a strange answer to that question, but hang with me for a few minutes. The Trinity, uh, as, as those of you that have been in the Christian faith for a while will understand, Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The word Trinity you'll never find in the pages of Scripture, but you can't read too many pages of Scripture without recognizing the reality of of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God, one God, one essence, expressed in three persons. One God eternal, all all three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit eternal. All three God, and yet all three different persons. As I said, you can't read far through the Scripture without seeing this. Even in Genesis, when you get to Genesis chapter 2, and God creates man and woman, and he's, the, the words are, let us create in our image. Well, who is God talking to? There's this plurality or this uh, Trinitarian idea from the very beginning. Not three gods, one God, one essence, but three persons making up the Trinity. And so right from the beginning, you have this, let us create man in our image. Throughout Scripture, you see it. One place in uh, or clearly see it, is that the baptism of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus, Jesus, God the Son, is there being baptized in the water. It says there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, God the Father. And then the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is said to descend and appear in that moment in the form of a dove. All three parts of the Trinity present in that important moment. So it's an important concept, but why do I connect this to our lack of spiritual growth? Here's the reason. Because I think most of us who call ourselves Christians are very comfortable with two-thirds of the Trinity. I think most of us who call ourselves Christians have an understanding and a comfort level with two-thirds of the Trinity, We understand God the Father, Creator, Almighty God, all-powerful. That kind of makes sense to us. We even understand God the Son. God the Son and the need for a Redeemer, a Savior. The fact that I need someone to cleanse me from my sins, that I have incurred a debt that I cannot pay. So God the Son, okay, I understand that. Two-thirds, but we get to God the Holy Spirit, and we don't always kind of know what to do with God the Holy Spirit. If God the Father we often see as creator and almighty God and God the Son we often see as redeemer and savior, what about God the Holy Spirit? I believe the scriptures teach that God the Holy Spirit is our sanctifier, our counselor. He's the one that convicts us. He's the one that walks with us throughout our life. God the Holy Spirit is the one that indwells the believer, but we don't always think about that. I think sometimes it's because we look at creation and the universe and the earth and we think, well, I couldn't have done that. So we need a creator, God the Father. We're comfortable with that. We recognize that we're sinners and that we've incurred a debt and there's something wrong with us that needs to be fixed. We need a savior, God the Son. But then what? I think many of us, after we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we figure, well, from that point on, it's up to us. God created us. He forgave us. What else can we ask for? The rest is up to us. You got to do the rest yourself. You got to become godly and walk like God, and, and you got to stop sinning, and you've got you've to live a life that loves God and loves people, and that's up to you because God created you, and he forgave you, and the rest is up to you. I think many times we live our lives with God as creator, Jesus as our savior, and ourselves as our sanctifier, our own strength as our sanctifier, that we believe that it rests on us and the responsibility is ours to clean ourselves up and to start walking like a person who loves and follows God. And so we think God the Father is creator, God the Son is our savior, and we ourselves are our sanctifier. But I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches, and I believe it's the neglect of the Holy Spirit that often keeps us from growing in our walk with God. I think the Holy Spirit is sometimes seen as kind of like a rider on your insurance. I mean, it's nice that it's there, but you hope you don't ever have to use it. Hopefully, you can just do everything in your own strength, and you don't ever have an emergency that you have to call upon it, but I don't believe that's the way we're to walk as Christians. In fact, I think we're to walk very, very differently. See, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. The truth is that if we're honest with ourselves, we all often identify with the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, where he says, For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. And how many of us can identify with this question? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, the image that Paul is using there is a graphic one. It's the idea that was sometimes practiced in the Roman Empire of literally attaching a corpse or a dead body to someone as a punishment and usually resulting in death because you're you're attached or sewn, literally sewn to this decaying decrepit body and Paul's saying that's what I feel like I feel like I'm constantly attached to this body of death that I want to do good and I want to do right but I so often end up doing evil who will rescue me from this. And how many of us can identify with that? That so often we think, man, I'd love, I, I want to do right, I want to do the right thing, I want to love people, I want to love God, I want to live my life the way God wants me to live it. But at the end of the day, I look back and I said, I didn't do everything I wanted to do. I did some things I know I shouldn't have done. Why can't I get this thing right? Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? I think we all sometimes feel that. We feel it in our relationships. We feel it in marriages. We feel it in in, in, uh, the way we forgive or don't forgive people. We feel it in our hearts when we're bitter. We feel it when we're angry. We feel it when we're greedy. Why can't I get this thing right? And Paul was saying that too, that we have this struggle within us. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And the answer for Paul is easy. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God the Son has redeemed us, has forgiven us, has come. He's our Savior And he's the one who rescues us from this body of death. But that's not his complete answer. Yes, God the Son, Jesus, no question, is the one who offers us forgiveness, who offers us uh, the freedom from guilt and shame and the freedom from our sins. But then he goes on in chapter 8, and almost the entirety of chapter 8 is taken up on this idea of life in the Spirit. And Paul says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So Paul's saying, yes, it is Jesus Christ who sets you free from your sin, but then it is God the Holy Spirit living in you that gives you the power to live your life for God. And it's not, it's not, Paul doesn't say, well, then you got to do it in your own strength. Then you got to pull up your bootstrap. Look, God did enough for you. Stop asking. He says, no, God, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. And so you now have the strength to live your life for God. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Here's the truth I want you to take away with you today. If you don't write anything else down or you don't type anything else into your phone, type this in and write this down. Here's what I want you to take away with you today. It's this. The truth is, we way overestimate what we can do in our own strength and we way underestimate what we need God to do by His Spirit. We overestimate what we can do in our own strength and we underestimate what we need God to do by His Spirit, especially when it comes to our spiritual growth, especially when it comes to walking with God. We overestimate what we can do in our strength, and we underestimate what we need God to do by His Spirit. Paul says it in another place when he's writing to the church at Galatia. He's writing to them, and they were struggling with the same thing of, thinking they had to do it by their own strength. And Paul says, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? You know, what God has begun supernaturally through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit in you, are you now? do you now really think that through your human effort, now he's just gonna leave you on your own and you're gonna finish the work? It's God's Spirit that works the whole time. Do we overestimate what we can do in our own strength and we underestimate what we need God to do by his spirit? This principle is all throughout the scriptures. I thought of a, a, one example, particularly in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, when um, the children of Israel had come up out of Egypt and uh, the Amalekites attacked them and Joshua went to battle against them. To fight and protect this this group of people. He went to battle against them. And and while Joshua was fighting with a sword, Moses did something very curious. He went up on a hill that overlooked the battle. And he did something very curious. He lifted his hands in worship to God. And as long as his hands were lifted in worship, Joshua and the Israelites won the battle. If his hands started to go down, they they were losing the battle. And so Moses understood this, so he kept his hands up. In fact, one time he got tired at one point, and two men, Aaron and Hur, stood on either side, holding his arms up until the battle was over. There was no magic in Moses' arms. That wasn't the point. The point wasn't how great Moses was. The point God was making was that the battle's only going to be won with God's help and God's strength and God doing it. So he tells Joshua, Wait, he tells Moses, he says, then the Lord said to Moses, right, this right at the end of the battle, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure Joshua hears it. Because verse 13 says, so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. But God says, look, write down what happened on this hill and make sure Joshua hears. Hears it because Joshua is about to lead these people and he needs to know he didn't win that battle with his sword. He won that battle because God's spirit was with him and God's power was with him. Because what Joshua is going to be tempted to do in the future is say, Ha, I beat the Amalekites. You know, I can take Jericho down by my hand and my wisdom. Joshua is going to be tempted to fight all the battles in his own strength. But when you write it down and you say, No, 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 Joshua, this is how it happened. Then every battle he goes into, he says, God, you're the one who fights the battle. And I think too often we go into it, we overestimate our own contribution to the battle. and We underestimate what God has done and what we need God to do. We overestimate our part. We underestimate what God did. The verse on the front of your bulletin uh, from Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Often many of us are familiar with that verse, we just don't know where it comes from. We don't know the context always. It comes from Zechariah chapter 4, and the context of it is this, that God had called uh, Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple, uh, and he said the way it's going to be built, that it'll be built, but mountains will be moved and rocks will be moved. He said, but it won't happen by might, it won't happen by power, it'll happen by my spirit, says the Lord did Zerubbabel have to, have to do some manual labor? Did he have to organize? Of course he did. But is that how the temple was going to be built? Nope. It's going to happen by God's Spirit. Did Joshua have to get his army out and go and, and get the swords and get the, and get the weapons and, and go out and fight? Yep. But is that how the battle was won? Nope. God's Spirit won the battle. Do you and I have to spend time reading our Bible and in prayer and, and paying attention to different aspects of our spiritual lives? Yep. But is that how you'll grow in the Lord? Nope. You do all those things apart from the Spirit of God in your life, you will not experience spiritual growth in your life. Spiritual growth happens by being in a relationship with the living God through his Holy Spirit. God the Spirit has been given to us as a gift to indwell within us, to walk with us, And that's how spiritual growth happens. It doesn't happen through some formula. It doesn't happen through your Bible reading plan. All that stuff's important, but it's not ultimate. What's ultimate is the Spirit of God living within us. Look at it at Jesus' first followers. Think about it. The first disciples. Before Jesus came on the scene, by all accounts, they were God-fearing men. They probably went to synagogue. They knew the Scriptures. They probably gave what they were supposed to give and prayed when they were supposed to pray. And they were God-fearing men raised in the Scriptures and feared the Lord. Then Jesus comes on the scene. And through his teaching and through the miracles, they're convinced that he's worth following. Beyond that, they become convinced that he's the Savior and the Messiah that they've been waiting for. So they follow him. Then Jesus died. He's crucified on the cross. He said he would be, and he died on the cross. And then some of them went back to fishing, just like they were doing before Jesus. Then Jesus comes, the resurrected Lord, and he says, no, 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 guys, you gotta keep following me. You gotta do the work now. And they say, okay, we'll, we'll do the work now. No, no problem, we're gonna do it. And Jesus ascends into heaven, and they're left, and they don't, really don't know what to do. So, so they go back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and they kind of wait there. And they know they're supposed to do something, but they really don't know what to do, so they do what good church people will do. They have an election, and they, they recognize, look, there were 12 of us, now there's 11, there's supposed to be 12, we've got to replace Judas, and, and so they have an election, and they elect this 12th guy, and, and then, but then we don't know what else they did. They, they were just kind of there waiting. They said, any new business, no new business, and then they adjourned. And they stayed and they waited because Jesus told them to wait, but they didn't know what to do. It wasn't until the day of Pentecost came. In Acts chapter 1, we have the words of Jesus telling them to wait. He said, on one occasion, he was eating with them. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They didn't really know what that meant, but they knew they were supposed to wait, and so they waited. And then in a few days, Acts chapter 2, When the day of Pentecost came, that was a feast that the Jewish people had celebrated for years. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had enabled them. And so, yeah, they were raised good Jewish young men. They knew the scriptures. Yes, they began to follow Jesus. Yes, after Jesus was resurrected, they recognized we're supposed to do something. But it was not until this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this filling of the Holy Spirit, that then they went out and said, okay, now we are empowered to do the work that God has called us to do. Peter goes and preaches a great sermon in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 at least come to be saved and come to put their trust in Jesus. Could Peter have given that sermon before the gift of the Holy Spirit? Probably. He could come up with it. He could put some words together. He could recount. It wasn't that dynamic of a sermon. All he did was recount the Jewish history and the life of Christ and said, you killed Jesus. That was, the, that was the extent of the sermon. And they said, what are we supposed to do? And he said, repent. And they said, okay. Could he have preached that sermon before Pentecost? Probably. Would it have had effect? Probably not. I don't think anyone would have come. But after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is given and they hear these men speaking in other tongues, all of a sudden, power of God falls. Kingdom of God grows. The church is born in that moment, but it wasn't until the Holy Spirit is given, and yet most of us are comfortable with two-thirds of the Trinity. We need the Holy Spirit. God's church does not grow apart from the Holy Spirit. We do not grow apart from the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, Peter, who went fishing, back to fishing. Suddenly, Peter, who's worried about what's going to happen to John. Suddenly, Peter who denied is up there preaching. Not only that, Acts chapter 4 is another one of his sermons. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Listen to the boldness in Peter's words. Peter, what changed him? It was the gift of the Holy Spirit that came. It was the bold, that gave him boldness. It was the walk with the Holy Spirit, the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit that gave him that boldness. You can't deny that. Because before that, yes, he knew the Father. Yes, they knew Jesus. But it wasn't until they had the Holy Spirit that he was empowered for ministry, and they went out and did a lot of ministry for God. But it's not just this one-time filling. It wasn't just, well, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's it. And that, well, that's great. And now let's move on. There is a constant, and I'm afraid in the church, especially the Pentecostal church, sometimes we get that idea that I just want to get filled with the Holy Spirit, experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then I move on to whatever the next thing is. Let me check off the next thing on my list. But the truth is, a filling with the Holy Spirit is a daily experience. It is a constant experience. Here's one of the ways I know that, because Acts chapter 4, a little later in that chapter, Peter and John had been arrested, and they say, you know, what's going on? This guy's healed, and, you know, tell us what's happening. And they, they explain it. They say, well, you can go, but don't preach about Jesus. They say, you know, we can't do that. And then they get back. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. After they prayed, who prayed? Who prayed? Peter, John, probably a lot of people that were with them on the day of Pentecost, a lot of people that were there in chapter 2, they prayed, right? After they prayed, these people who had already been filled with the Holy Spirit, the place where their meeting was shaken, and they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly but they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. We, there is a daily need for the Spirit of God in our lives to help us to live bold and overcoming lives for God. And so many of us are just comfortable with two-thirds of the Trinity. God the Father is creator. God the Son is redeemer. But what about God the Spirit? Because if you read through the Scriptures, especially the New Testament Scriptures, You see, again and again and again, it's the spirit that empowers the believer. It's the spirit that grows the church. It's the spirit that cleanses, the spirit that sanctifies, the spirit that counsels and convicts. And it's the spirit that you and I need in our lives if we are gonna grow with God. You and I need this Holy Spirit in our lives, and it can't be that we are only comfortable with two-thirds of the Trinity. Francis Chan, Pastor Francis Chan, uh, pastor out in California, who's, um, in fact, many of you may have done his study in your community group a few years back called Forgotten God. It's on the Holy Spirit. He says this in that book Living by the Spirit implies a habitual, continual, and active interaction with the Holy Spirit. While this sounds exhausting, it really isn't because all this living and action is done in the power of the Spirit, it is not done. By your own strength. And that's the irony of it, isn't it? That this life that God has called you to live, that he has not called, does not expect you to do it in your own strength. This life that God has called you to live, he gives you the power to live it in his Holy Spirit. When you read in the book of Galatians about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, By the way, that singular fruit, it's supposed to be present, all of it, in all of our lives. And you read about that, patience, love, joy, kindness, all of that, and you say, well, how am I supposed to have that in my life? It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of your own strength not the fruit of your own action, not the fruit of your own efforts. It's the fruit of the Spirit in your life, that being in contact and daily being filled with the Holy Spirit is how you live and have a godly life. Living your life in daily relationship with the Holy Spirit and being daily filled with the Holy Spirit is much less like, my time's up, is much less like filling the tank of your car with gas, and much more like the subway that needs to be in contact with the third rail for it to move. We sometimes think that the Holy Spirit, well, I'm going to fill my tank with gas. I'm filled with the, you know, Holy Spirit. I'm good to go. I'm probably good for, you know, 100 miles, you know, you know 200 miles. I'm good for a couple days, good for a couple weeks. That's not how I understand. The relationship with the Holy Spirit, I think, is much more like the subway car that has to stay in contact with that third rail in order to move anywhere. It's like those buses, I think they still have them, that run through Cambridge, Arlington, Belmont, the ones with the wires overhead, and they have to stay in contact with those wires or they're not going anywhere. The Christian life is, is not unlike that. And unless we stay in contact with the Holy Spirit, unless we stay in contact with God's Spirit in our life, we're not going anywhere. We're not accomplishing anything. Not anything of significance, not anything of eternal value. It happens through constant contact with the Lord, and with His Spirit. Trying to live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit in our lives is for a recent illustration is trying to shovel your driveway after a blizzard. Remember the blizzard we had a couple of years ago, February of uh, 2013, I guess it was. Remember that one? It was like two, three feet of snow. They, the governor shut down the highways. Shut, I remember that day because I was doing a wedding that night for my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. And so I had to shovel out my driveway that night after that storm, the governor opened the highway just in time for us to get the wedding to get in the wedding that night. But where I'm shoveling my driveway, I did not have a snowblower. I am shoveling my driveway, whatever that was, two, three feet of snow. And the cruel thing about shoveling, right, is this: that when you're at your tiredest, when you are exhausted the most, you get to the heaviest snow, right? You get to the bottom of the driveway. And you get to the heaviest, wettest snow that the snowplow has been just kicking on the driveway all day. And I was like, I don't even know if I can do this. And then my neighbor, who just got a brand new snowblower and thankfully wanted to play with it a little more, came up to my driveway and just, just started plowing through that snow at the bottom of my driveway like it was nothing. And I just sat there leaning on my shovel, thanking Jesus thanking John that, uh, that he came over and did this. But I thought that's not unlike trying to live life, the Christian life, apart from the Holy Spirit. It's like trying to shovel your drive as opposed to God saying, I'd like to just bring my snowblower over and get some of this junk out of your life. I'd like to just bring my snowblower, my Holy Spirit in- into your life on a daily and regular basis and just get some of this junk out of the way if you'd let me. But if you want to keep shoveling, just keep shoveling because so many of us are comfortable with just two-thirds of the Trinity, that we overestimate what we can do in our own strength, and we underestimate our need for God's Spirit in our lives. We need God's Spirit to fill us. Someone else gave me another illustration this week that I, that I think fits well. If you have a, if you have a jar, uh, say like a, a bottle, and you drop uh, maybe a, a piece of plastic, maybe a Lego in it, and you, you, you've had this happen before, right, where you're trying to get it out, and you're shaking the jar upside down, and you're trying to, you know, it like, won't come out because it won't, it won't fit the right way, and someone said, you know how you get that out? It's a great life hack. You fill the jar with water, and then the thing you want just floats to the top, and then you just take it out, and I thought, that's kind of like the Holy Spirit in our lives, isn't it? If we, if, if our lives are filled with the Spirit of God, some of the stuff, the junk that we have it off, just kind of floats to the top, and God kind of takes care of it and gets rid of it. When we're filled with the Spirit, some of the other stuff tends to come out of our lives. One other last illustration, A.J. Gordon, uh, one of the founders of Gordon Divinity School, up, uh, when it was Gordon Divinity School up in South Hamilton, now it's Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. A.J. Gordon one day was out in a field and he gives this illustration about the Holy Spirit. He said he was in a field, and he saw a man pumping water. And the man was just pumping water, pumping water. And he said it was the most consistent and constant pumping of water. He said the guy just kept on going, kept pumping this water. It was like he was never getting tired, never wavering. Never and he just kept pumping water, pumping water, pumping water out of this pump. So he started to get closer. And as A.J. Gordon got closer, he realized it wasn't a man at all. It was a wooden figure painted to look like a man that was just going in a motion that looked like uh, pumping water. It was an artesian well, and the water was coming up on its own, and what he thought was the man was pumping the water, but in reality, the water was pumping the man. And he said, that's not unlike the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we often think we're the ones doing the work in order to make it happen, but in reality, It's God's spirit that really does the work. We just gotta keep our hand on the handle. It's God's spirit that really does the work in our lives. It's God's spirit that really wins the battle. It's God's spirit that really brings the growth. It's God's spirit that really brings the healing. It's God's spirit that will restore and move in your life and in your relationships. It's God's spirit that will use you to preach the word boldly. It's God's spirit that will use you to bring reconciliation, to bring peace, to show the love of God. It's God's Spirit that does it, not your own strength. It's God, the Holy Spirit that lives within you, that does that. One, uh, one final illustration, and then we're gonna take some time to pray. In fact, if the worship team wants to make their way up, they can come up. Um, one of my uh, favorite uh, stories about God's Holy Spirit just moving in a miraculous way uh, comes from Jim Cimbala, and Jim Cimbala has, has a million of them, right? Uh, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, he's great. Uh, his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, he's got a bunch of them, but, I, you know, I'd highly recommend Jim Cimbala to you, but this one comes out of this book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Jim a pastor of uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle there, and some of you may know Brooklyn Tabernacle from the um, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, won a lot of Grammy Awards and things. And he tells the story of when he was past when he's pastoring Brooklyn Tabernacle. The story of his daughter Chrissy, his oldest daughter, who had walked away from the Lord. And he- she'd walked away, and this was just tearing uh, he and his wife Carol up. And he had people praying and, and everything else, but at-, at some point he just felt like they were just supposed to just pray about it on their own. And they were just going about life, and Chrissy had walked far away from the Lord, and it was w- involved in a life that was just not in line with the way she was raised. It was not in line with Jim and Carol's values. God, uh, it was not a godly life at all, but they felt like they had to just pray for her, and there was nothing else they could do. And then one Tuesday night, they have these Tuesday night prayer meetings, which if you ever get the chance, in fact, I, I'd love to take a bunch of people down to Brooklyn Tabernacle and go one of their Tuesday night prayer meetings. They have these Tuesday night prayer meetings where thousands of people show up to Brooklyn Tabernacle to pray, and it was in one of these Tuesday night prayer meetings that God the Holy Spirit spoke to someone in that prayer meeting and said, had them write down on a note and bring it up to Pastor Simbola." And the only thing it said on the note was, I think uh, God is telling us that we're supposed to pray for your daughter. And, and Pastor Simbola got this note, and he said it resonated with his spirit. He felt like it probably was what God wanted to do in that moment, that God the Spirit was leading him in that way. And so he brought up his associate pastor and he said, why don't you lead us? You know, I can't do this. If you just, if you can lead us in a prayer for Chrissy. And, and for the next uh, significant amount of time, the, that church, thousands of people cried out for the life of this, of this girl. and Thousands of people uh, cried out. And he said he felt something was just broken in that moment. And, and at some point, uh, he just felt like it was done. And he went home and told Carol, his wife, who was not at that meeting, He said, it's done. And she said, what's done? What are you talking about? It's done. We don't have to pray for Chrissy anymore. He said, if you were in that prayer meeting tonight, you would know. He said, if there's a God in heaven, there is no way that Chrissy's not coming back. And so he just said, it's done. We don't have to pray for her anymore. Something happened tonight. The Lord did something. God, the Holy Spirit had us praying and he did something. Less than 36 hours later, Thursday morning, Thursday morning, Jim uh, said he's upstairs shaving, and his wife, Carol, comes in, and in fact, I wanna read this uh, instance from here on this one. His wife, Carol, comes in and says, Chrissy's here, and she wants to see you. And uh, she said, just go down, she urged. It's you, she wants to see. Jim says, I wiped off the shaving foam and headed down the stairs, my heart pounding. As I came around the corner, I saw my daughter on the kitchen floor. Rocking on her hands and knees, sobbing cautiously, I spoke her name, Chrissy. She grabbed my pant leg and began pouring out her anguish. Daddy, Daddy, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and Mommy. Please forgive me. My vision was as clouded by tears as hers. I pulled her up from the floor and held her close as we cried together. Suddenly, she drew back. She said this, Daddy, she said with a start, who was praying for me? She said, who was praying for me? Her voice was like that of a cross-examining attorney. What do you mean, Chrissy? She said, on Tuesday night, Daddy, who was praying for me? I didn't say anything, so she continued. She said, in the middle of the night, God woke me up and showed me I was heading toward this abyss. There was no bottom to it. It scared me to death. I was so frightened. I realized how hard I've been, how wrong, how rebellious. But at the same time, it was like God wrapped his arms around me and held me tight. He kept me from sliding any further, and he said, I still love you. Daddy, tell me the truth. Who was praying for me on Tuesday night? I looked into our bloodshot eyes and once again recognized the daughter that we had raised Chrissy's return to the ward became evident immediately, and then he goes on from there. But I read that story and I share that story for this reason: because it's God, the Holy Spirit, who causes a group and a church to pray. It's God, the Holy Spirit, that's present the girl in her apartment in her room. It's God's Spirit active that causes these things to happen. You can try doing it in your own strength. But why? Why would you want to live this Christian life apart from the fullness of the Spirit of God in your life? Why would you want to live this Christian life with two-thirds of the Trinity as your focus? Why would you not want all that God has for you? So we've got a few minutes, and how I want to close this service and really this series of sermons is by allowing you some time at the altar to pray and ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. To give you the strength to live the life that you want to live in 2015. Not to live it in your own strength, in your own knowledge, but to ask him starting today and to daily fill you with his Spirit to give you boldness to minister, to give, bring about fruit in your life to live for him, and to ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit to live the life for you. So would you stand, and I'm gonna pray, and after I pray, our worship team is gonna begin to play, and as they do, these altars are gonna be open, and I'm gonna open them up and allow you to come and pray, and I'm gonna ask our elders and, and their wives, they're here, to come behind you and to pray for you. Maybe just lay a hand on your shoulder, lay a hand on on your head, and just pray that God's spirit would fill you, The pray that God would just fill you with his power and his spirit in your life so that you and I are no longer trying to live our lives and trying to live for God in our own strength, but we would be filled with the Holy Spirit daily daily for him let me let me there's one more quote I meant to read it let me just read it for you because some of you may be there and you say well I got the Holy Spirit when I came to Jesus what more of the Holy Spirit do I get and do I need Martin Lloyd-Jones this was by no mean a Pentecostal no means a Pentecostal or charismatic he was a famous preacher in more of a reformed church if that means anything to you it just means they didn't emphasize the Holy Spirit all that much to tell you put it in short form Martin Lloyd-Jones, once when he was preaching, said this. He said, I know all of you listening to me come as I do from a reformed background, but it's not good enough. He says, I know that all of you would want to say to my question about the Holy Spirit, well, we got it all at conversion. There's no need for any more experience. Well, said Martin Lloyd-Jones, I have only one other question to ask you. If you got it all at conversion, where in God's name is it? And I thought, what a powerful question. Because we so often say, well, I got the Holy Spirit in me. But if you don't have that daily, constant filling of God's Spirit in your life, we're overestimating what we can do in our own strength. And we are underestimating what we need God and His Spirit to do in our lives. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come to you today. Lord, forgive us for neglecting something you make so clear in your word. Lord, we come first confessing, confessing that we try so hard to please you by living this life in our own strength. It's not because we want to neglect anything you've given. It's just because we just so want your approval that we think you're going to be somehow happier with us if we do it on our own. Lord, forgive us for neglecting the gift that you have given to us in your Holy Spirit. Forgive us for trying to live out our lives and to grow in Christ in our own strength. Lord, would you come today as we come to this altar, as we come to this time of prayer, would you come and fill us with your Spirit? Would you open our hearts and open our lives? Just have your way with us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today is our prayer. In Jesus' name we ask this. The worship team plays. These altars are open. Come and pray and ask the Lord to fill you with His Spirit today.